I want to welcome each of you to the memorial service for Jean Logston. Her family, her children are glad that you could be with them, joining this time of remembrance and reflection and also hope. In times like this, we're a little sad. Jean is gone from us. She's one we miss. She's one who loved us, and we loved her. We're also glad because God gave her a full and excellent life. And only recently, God took her home to be themselves up in heaven, and now she's living better than she's ever, ever lived before. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jean and for her long and wonderful life on this earth. We thank you for how you greatly blessed her, that she was a blessing to each one of us. We thank you that you gave her an excellent husband, some very special children and grandchildren. Most importantly, we thank you that you are her heavenly father, that you gave her eternal life. Exactly two months ago, you took her to heaven to be with you. We pray that you use this time today to be an encouragement to each one of us and a glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we'll have a couple congregational songs. I believe you had a little handout for the songs in your, your program there. One of the most beautiful hymns to me, a great uh, hymn of praise and worship, and one that uh, Gene may be singing in heaven right now if they, if they have them, the, the specific ones used, but how great thou art. So I would invite you to sing with me in this hymn. died 
to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Sure, but I think this was uh, one of Jean's very favorite hymns in the garden, and it speaks of uh, her relationship with Jesus and how much time she loved to spend with him in the garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known he speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet the birds stop their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks 
with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known I'll stay in the garden with him though the night around me be falling and he bids me go through the voice of woe his voice to me is calling and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known Proverbs chapter 10 verse 7 it says the memory of the righteous is a blessing this time we're going to have a few people, particularly the three children, Mary Ellen, Gary, and Linda, come up, and then others can share a little later. Memories, and indeed, Jean was a righteous person. The word blessing, we hear memories of a righteous person. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to our lives, and it's a blessing to God. So we want to take this time now. Basically, they're just stories of Jean's life and how she affected us. So if we get at Mary Ellen, Gary, and Linda, I'll come up this time. Thank you. I'm so happy all of you are here. This is wonderful. Um, I decided I was going to tell you a few things about my mom that maybe you didn't know. We moved to Florida when I was 10. My mom was very active in the community in West Virginia that she lived in. In fact, right before we moved, she raised enough money to buy street signs for the whole, the whole town. <laughs> So they put up the street signs and they had a picture of her in the newspaper with the, the brand new street signs for Moundsville, West Virginia. My mom was really um, uh, competitive. Uh, she liked to include everybody else in the things she was doing. One of the things she loved when she was a ch child was she liked to play marbles. And she had a whole bag of marbles that she won from the other kids. And they went to visit her um, grandparents on a train in the fall one year because they didn't have a car. Her family didn't have a car. And um, when they came home, it was late at night. And her dad went on and turned on the gas in the uh, bedroom to light the furnace. And she had put her bag of marbles inside the furnace because she didn't want anybody to take them while they were gone. And they all melted together. <laughs> And she was so upset because she had the finest marble collection <laughs> of anybody in her elementary school. It was really funny. So when we got to Florida, 
um, I had been a, a Brownie Girl Scout, and there were no, this neighborhood, there were five streets. There, that, there just weren't very many people living here, and there were no organizations in the community here for kids, so my mom volunteered to be a Girl Scout leader. Well, she had 30 girls in her troop, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and she was my leader for three years, and then for two years, I was in somebody else's troop, and then my sister was old enough to be in her troop, so she was a leader for like eight years. Uh, one of the fun things that she did with us was we learned, uh, we, did, we worked on badges, we went camping, she loved camping, but she took us to the roller skating rink out on Armenia Avenue, the same one still there, and she had all these little kids, you know, that she was taking, and a couple of adults who were like, we're not going on skates. And my mom picked up this little suitcase that she had that was made out of aluminum and opened the skate, and she had her own roller skates. Well, it turned out during the, the Depression, her dad bought her roller skates for her birthday, and they were two sizes too big. It was the only size he could get during the Depression. So she, for years, she stuffed Kleenex in the toes of the shoes so she could roller skate. But she belonged to a club, and they went all over the place skating. So here, here's all these little Girl Scouts trying to stand up. And uh, I think Trudy was one of them. She went with us. And we, uh, and we couldn't skate because we didn't know how. And my mom was skating backwards, holding our hands. <laughs> She, she, was, she was so graceful. She was a dance skater. I mean, she was really good. And, uh, but she loved to teach people things that she knew how to do. Uh, then when my daughter was in Girl Scouts, my mom was doing stamp collecting. And so she had all my Girl Scouts make stamp collections, and they entered them, and, and some of her nephews, Brad, and they entered a stamp show, and my mom won a prize, and Brad won a prize, <laughs> and the girls got some prizes too. But, but whatever hobby she had, she wanted everybody to do it with her. So I know there's a couple of her uh, dancing friends here from the square dancing, and she loved that more than anything because when my mom and dad were first married, my dad played the piano, and his brother played the fiddle, and they were the band for the square dancers. They went to a place to dance, but they didn't have records. They played live music. So my mom never got to square dance. So when my dad retired, he joined his, his, some of his friends from work, um, belonged to a square dancing club, and they joined the club. And they had a wonderful time. They traveled, and they, they went all over to, d to conventions, and they just had a ball. So there's some uh, pictures of some awards that they won and uh, pictures of her in her square dancing outfits. She, was a, she, she wasn't a frilly girl, but she loved her square dancing clothes with all the big skirts, so they had a great time. So I, I hope you all have some good memories of, of Mom, and Gary, it's your turn. When we set the time for um, for this service at four o'clock, 
the very first thing I thought about was Perry Mason. <laughs> because when we were young, Perry Mason would come on at 4 o'clock. It was my mom's favorite television show of all time. But she never saw a single episode all the way through. Because Perry Mason would come on at 4 and and. You know, we only had like three channels on the TV, and there was only one TV. It wasn't like today. And the show would come on, and we always had to have it on the TV. And within 15 minutes of the beginning, my mom was asleep. So I just want to let you know, if you ever have trouble sleeping at night, get yourself a set of Perry Mason tapes. You can buy the whole set of them because my mom has them. And you can put on a Perry Mason tape determined to see it all the way through you have to have that determination and within 15 minutes of starting you will fall asleep that's gene logston's guaranteed remedy for sleeplessness so that was the first thing i thought of when we said we're going to start at four o'clock i went you know mom would have been asleep we just put little perry mason up there in the videos and if she was at the service she would have been asleep within 15 minutes um it's great to see all you guys here when we, I don't remember a lot of things about West Virginia because I was really small when, when we left. Um, but I do remember our vacation trip to Florida. And we were staying with Uncle Bob and, and, and his family. And uh, we were just enjoying Florida. And my dad was talking about how he's struggling with his TV business. And Uncle Bob convinced my dad that he should look at the newspaper and see if there was any jobs in Florida because there's a lot of work in Florida. And so he found a, a job in Clearwater at Honeywell, and he called them up, and they accepted him to come over for an interview. So no, he doesn't have any clothes for an interview because we're there on summer vacation. So they got some clothes put together. My dad went over and interviewed and got the job. So he comes home, and I remember... He said, Jeannie, I got the job. We're moving to Florida. <laughs> so in the middle of our vacation, and my dad made this announcement. He hardly ever made an announcement. The family went back from vacation to, to, to West Virginia, packed up everything. My dad sold his business. My mom packed up the entire house because my dad was busy getting, closing up his business. My mom got it all done, got everything back, and we headed to Florida. If you think about it, you know, I didn't really think about it that much when I was a kid, but we've moved a couple times. And to think about getting a job opportunity, coming up, selling your home, leaving the town that you lived in since you were a little girl. Basically her whole life, she, she lived in Moundsville. Supporting my dad and the family like that. Packing it all up, moving us down to, to Tampa, getting us restarted, and as Mary Ellen mentioned, immediately jumping into the community. Just a fantastic statement of her dedication to the family and to my dad. One story I wanted to share with you, uh, this is when I was probably, I can't remember whether it's sixth or seventh grade, um, 
I played baseball, and my mom was always helping with baseball, and she always was uh, helping me because we had donut sales. And, and I was the world champion donut salesperson in our neighborhood. I would sell 200 dozens of donuts, and, have to, and of course, you know, I sold them, but somebody had to help me deliver them. And so mom would drive around the neighborhood, and I had my little uh, wagon, and I'd pile the, the donuts in the wagon and go around and deliver them to all the houses, and she was always doing that. So she helped me all through baseball. And there's, I, I was over in, across the street at uh, Pierce. I was walking by there for some, I don't remember why, and there was a football team practicing. And they were all African-American kids. All of them. There was not a white kid there. All African-American kids and a white coach. And so I went over there and I said, what are you guys doing? He said, well, we're practicing. We're a football team. And I said, can I play? You guys, coach says, well, I got an extra set of pads. So we pulled the pads out and I put on the pads and, uh, and I played with them. And, and then when I got done, I said, so what is this? He says, well, we're getting ready for our season. So I said, can I join the team? And he goes, well, I don't know if you can join the team. So I went home and I said, mom, these guys are down here playing. They're called the Tigers. And, and I played with them, and I want to join their team. So the next day, we went over there, and they, they had been run, run off of a field that they had practiced on in, the, uh, in their neighborhood. And the coach was driving around, and he found Pierce. It was an empty lot, and he said, oh, we could practice there. And, um, and so he was practicing. I don't think he ever asked permission. He just set up and had the practices there. So my mom went up to him, and she says, so my son said that you told him he could not join your team. <laughs> And the guy kind of looked embarrassed. He says, well, I don't think he would fit in. And my mom says, why not? He wants to play on your team. And so um, my coach, I knew he was a wise man right then because he didn't argue with my mom, which would have been a really bad decision. He didn't argue with him. He says, okay, well, he can be on the team. And so I joined the Tigers, and I played. I was the only white player on a team of all black kids, and we came in second in the city. And... Uh, and uh, that was that was pretty that was a pretty cool activity. Um, my best friend in elementary school was Paul Bernie, and Paul's sister's here. And um, Paul and I used to get into things, you know, how kids are. We used to get into things, and so Paul's mom and my mom were always, you know, running interference for us and kind of getting at getting us getting us out of things. And uh, one day. Uh, Paul's older brother, Mitch, had a motorbike. And so Mitch had a motorcycle, and, you know, we were kids. We were, like, nine years old. We were too young to be riding motorcycles. But Paul decided it would be really cool to ride the motorcycle around the house, around in his yard, around the house. And so Mitch had taught Paul how to, how to kind of get on the motorcycle. We could barely get on the thing. So me and Paul are riding the motorcycle around the house. And... Um, I hear the horn honk as I'm coming around the back of the house. We come around, and there's mom, and she's not happy that we're, we're riding the motorbike. And she went in, and she knocked on the door, and she wanted to talk to Paul's mom about how come she let our kids on the motorbike. And she came out, and she was unhappy because she had been taking a nap, and she was unhappy. And so we had to deal with both of our moms. Um, but it was fun riding the motorbike. You know? I don't regret it. Even though I got in lots of trouble. One time I was, um, I had this girlfriend, and this is in uh, probably 10th grade. I had this girlfriend, and she was going to babysit. 
And so she invited me over to the house that she was babysitting in, right? And so I mentioned it to my parents, and my mom says, you can't go over there. There's no supervision. You can't go over there. And so I knew that I couldn't go over there. So I told him I was going someplace else, and I went over there. And, um, and my bicycle was parked. I, I, it's one of the few times I actually parked my bicycle and had it standing on, its, on the, the stand so it was standing up. It wasn't laying in the yard. It was standing up in the driveway. And I don't know how it is. My mom had this ability to know what's going on and figure out where we were, even though we didn't tell her anything. We tried to keep things from her as best we could. And though, again, I'm hearing the horn honk, and I recognize the horn immediately. And I go outside, and my mom is parked in front of the house, honking on the horn. She caught me. I hadn't been there for like 10 minutes. I didn't, I didn't even have enough time to get in trouble. Um, except I was in trouble with my mom. But, but she had this radar, this sense that mothers have for their children. She had it, and she knew where we were, and she knew if we were into something that we weren't supposed to be into. She, she just knew it. There was no, we, we, had, we had like no chance. We had zero chance of getting in any real trouble when we were kids. Because mom was on top of everything. The other thing she did, which, as you know, as I've grown older, I, I understand it. But when I was a kid, I never understood this. My sisters and I, we would we would fight sometimes, and and uh, we would do things that we weren't supposed to do. And, and one day uh, we got in trouble, and we were all we were sassy to my mom. That didn't happen often like once every 10 or 15 minutes. But this one time, we were really sassy to mom. We were giving her, real, giving her a really hard time. And she goes, wait till your father gets home. Right? And so I'm thinking, well, when dad gets home, we'll come up with a story and we'll tell him, you know, mom was in a bad mood or something. So my dad comes home, and my dad's a very quiet guy. He walks in the door, and he immediately tears into me. And I was the first one. He took me back to the bedroom, and he spanked me. Spanked me pretty hard. And I couldn't figure out how he knew what happened. You know, to me, I'm going, well, he's not even home yet. He walked in the door, grabbed, I mean, he literally walked in the door and grabbed me, drug me back to my bedroom and spanked me. I mean, just like that. No words, no nothing. And I'm going, man, that was tough. And I don't know what happened to the girls because I was in pain. Um, what, I, what I learned later was that... My mom and dad talked almost every day on the phone around lunchtime. My dad would call home around lunchtime and talk to my mom almost every day. And, and, and my mom would tell him what was going on. So he always knew what was going on with us kids because my mom always knew things. And so when he got home, he already knew what was going on. It took me like six more years before I figured that one out. <laughs> I can, all, I can say this, in seeing how Sandra has dealt with our boys and brought us up, brought them up, well, us, me too. Um, <laughs> he's laughing because it's so true. <laughs> I've gained an incredible appreciation for the job that my mom did in raising us, raising us and in taking care of us. 
Um, it's not an easy job when you have three active kids who are in, in everything, in band, in scouts, in sports, all the time, constantly running us around, constantly getting us to places, being at every concert, being at every activity, all the way through our childhood. And then even as adults, you know, she was at everything. Um, she was at graduation, she was at everything. Um, and that was her job and her joy. Um, I, I really appreciate that a lot more having my boys grow up and walking, watching them go through everything and watching how Sandra's kind of watched over them and brought them up. You don't appreciate that stuff when you're the kid so much, but when you get older, you start appreciating what an incredible job that was. And my mom did it with love and joy all the time. I mean, that, I'm not saying she didn't get mad, because she did, um, but it was her joy to be a mom, and um, I appreciate her so much. Thank you, guys. So when you're the youngest, you got to figure out what your older brother and sister didn't say already, right? <laughs> um, I think when I think back of, of mom, I'm going to start with a story dad told me. When I was a kid, dad said he didn't, even though we knew the true meaning of Christmas, he didn't mind that we believed in Santa Claus when we were little kids. Not the commercial Santa Claus, but St. Nicholas. Because the true St. Nicholas left treats for kids that had nothing. And it was unconditional love. And he knew, because we were raised in, in, in church, he knew we wouldn't understand the real meaning. But I think the unconditional love that mom and dad showed for us is the greatest lesson I ever learned. And it wasn't just for our family. Mom and dad had a real heart for kids. Mom was so active in you know, everything. Mariel already mentioned about being a Girl Scout leader. Um, she also, when our neighborhood needed a place for kids to hang out, enjoy themselves, when I was in middle school, she somehow got involved and helped. The, we had a rec center in Pierce. Uh, it was junior high then. Um, they opened the cafeteria, and Mom was part of getting games and pool tables and everything else that you would need. It was open two or three nights a week, and we could go there and have a safe place to hang out and enjoy it. And, and if Mom saw something that would benefit kids, she was the first to um, go full force into that and make it happen. Um, she was a band chaperone when I was in high school and, and Gary was in high school. But it wasn't just, oh, I'm a chaperone. When Gary was a senior and I was a sophomore, we, our band got picked, um, and Nancy and Nita are here, Morris are here, and they were a part of that band. We got picked to play in the inaugural parade. But we only had three weeks to raise $18,000. And Mom was extremely gifted at publicity. 
And she was a spearhead behind the band getting enough money to go to Washington because she knew what a benefit it would be for the kids there. And she wasn't just in the big things. She was always in the little things, too. If some child in our neighborhood got in trouble for anything, whether some some of the kids, their parents weren't as strong as ours. And I had one friend who his parents were both alcoholic, and he would... Um, come over to our house in the middle of the night because he'd wake up in the middle of the night and one of his parents would be drunk with a knife in their hand. Um, or something little, like we walked the swamp and got, got fell in. Uh, you know, she didn't care because we were outdoor people, but she made sure that uh, other kids didn't get in trouble for that. She washed more than one kid's clothes. Um, when I go to a high school reunion, the first thing that people say to me after, how are you, Linda? is how's your mom? And they asked dad too, but dad was quiet and most of them didn't know dad as well as mom was. Mom didn't know a stranger. She grew up in a small town and she was everybody's friend as soon as she met him. She loved people. Um, It didn't stop when we graduated. Mom and dad were members of St. John's United Methodist Church for a long time. And when I was in graduate school for Christian education, I was a youth director for five small churches, Faith Methodist by Leto, St. John's, Christ, which was in Ybor City, um, and um, another church that was in West Tampa. I can't remember off the top of my head the name of that one. But we were going camping, and the kids, and my parents were, you know, 55 about the time, the kids came up to me and said, is it okay with you if your mom and dad go camping with us? You know, and I, and I, you know, I was just meeting the kids because I never really attended that church as, as an adult. Mom and Dad switched churches while I was in, away in school. But I thought that was awesome. They wanted Mom and Dad to be chaperones. Uh, so it was really obviously it didn't change. I know when Dad, um, and it didn't matter, as you got from what Gary said, what you look like, what the child looked like, whether it were black, white, purple, green, it didn't make any difference. I remember when we were in Leto, it was during schools, schools had been desegregated, and they closed Blake High School in Ybor City, and they bus kids 25 miles across town, and we probably had about 20 Afro-American kids in the band, and the band was awesome, and um, we were like a big family, but those kids were in double session. The kids that were in double session got out at six, and Ybor City is 25 miles away, and they were supposed to be able to get back by 7 for band to march a football game. That wasn't possible. So Mrs. O'Neill and Mom divided the kids in half, and every Friday night, the kids that couldn't get across town and back came to one of the two houses to, have to eat supper before they could get back. Um, so there's so many different ways. I know when, when Dad was going through um, heart issues, the kids in this church sent him cards regularly, and I think that says what a special place that they had in, in their hearts. Um, so, you know, it, when I decided to become a children's pastor, I think my experience from what mom's love for kids was a big reason that that happened. I saw kids that maybe didn't have the strength in our family in their family that had mine, um, lean on mom and get a little stronger. And that enabled them to do what they wanted to do with their lives. When, mom, when we had mom and dad's 50th anniversary, we invited 400 people. I'm thinking maybe 200 would show up. 450 people showed up. Seriously. And a lot of them were kids 
that probably a fourth of them were kids that mom and dad had touched their lives, whether they were from our neighborhood, whether they were Girl Scouts, whether they were from Leto Band. Um, so I hope, and, and when, I, when I realized that, I realized, well, maybe I can have a small influence on kids the way that mom and dad did as I, as I went through my growing up years. Anyway, thank you. That verse in Proverbs, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, is not just a verse, it's true. Weren't those good stories, encouraging stories about Gene? This time we're going to have uh, three of the grandchildren, Andrew, Daniel, Daniel, and Philip, come up. We're going to have a reading um, from uh, Psalm 118. Some experts, excerpts from Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust than to trust in princes. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stones that the builders rejected have now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. It is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with the cords on the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. A great truth. Indeed, we're seeing that lived out in the life of Gene as we have this service together. 
This memorial service is a very special time. There's a time that we have to be together to celebrate the life of Jean Logston, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and a good friend. And I think back on Jean's life, and a lot of you here filling in the early years, it's no doubt a life that was well lived. A life for God, a life for people, a life of serving, and a life of loving. And there's no doubt that she loved to be with people. Oftentimes, I would visit her and Norm back a few years ago. And uh, she's back from that culture where you just drop in and people, and they'll say, come on in. She's always friendly, hospitable, and come on in, Steve. And we'd just talk, and she'd be very encouraging, just a positive. She's a very positive person. In fact, I just can't remember her complaining. Um, indeed, she was a blessing. And, of course, she loved to tell stories. And many of her stories were about God's faithfulness, God's provision for her, for Norm, for the family, and for others. And, of course, as you all know, she had an excellent memory, excellent memory. And so she had many, many, many stories with the details, and I've heard many through the years. Very encouraging of how God came through. It was always blessed to hear her share those things. And Jean used the abilities that God gave her, whether it was raising children, whether it was hospitality or serving the church or serving her family, uh, or whether it was growing things, growing plants. Indeed, she was faithful to use the abilities and the gifts that God gave her. And God gave Jean a wonderful husband. Her and Norm, they really loved each other, which is evidenced by the fact that they kept going for a good 63 years before God took Norm home. And I still remember that last year, 2014, 2015, last year of Norm's life. And, and, I, and I'd go visit. And Jean was so devoted, like she should be, but so devoted to Norm. I mean, with him 24-7, caring and helping and serving and cooking and just being a good wife and a good friend. It's just, it just cool to see two people here at the end of their marriage and how close they were together. It's just it's a wonderful thing. Jean loved children, too. Heard that from Linda. A number of years back, uh, Jean wanted to buy Bibles for the children in our church. And so she got Bibles for the children, all the children in our church. In fact, what's really interesting is just about... So a week or two ago, I was having uh, supper, uh, one supper with one of the young men in our church, and, and, and he said he still uses the Bible that Gene gave him years back. So that was, that was encouraging. And I think of, of Gene, I think of three main things, the great love that she had for people, her faith in God. It was a simple faith, but it was a strong faith. It was an enduring faith. And finally, perseverance. I mean, going through all the years, and I'm a little older now, and I understand that persevering is one of the hardest things to do when you keep going, you don't always feel good, and you're tired, but persevering, that was just, that encourages me, that she kept going, was faithful through all the years to God and to people, to her friends. Well, it was the morning of April 11th, Jean was asleep in her little chair there in her home on Paris Street, and the angels came. And they woke her up. I mean, they woke her up. That's what happened. That's what does happen. They woke her up, and they took her to heaven, and her faith was no longer sight. Why does that happen? Sometimes you don't think about the verses in the Bible that tell us specifically why 
God has people come home. Let me just mention a few. First, all the days God had planned for Jean were over. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, All the days ordained for her were written in your book before one of them came to be. All ordained. God knew her exact life. And that comes out to exactly 33,682 days. The Bible says, teach us to number our days. Second, Jean's work was done. Acts 13, 36 says, David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. That is, he physically died. And Jean died having fulfilled her purpose, having finished the work that God wanted her to do. That's it. Third point is God wanted Jean, his child, one he dearly loved, to be at home with him. And who can question the timing and the work of God. It says in, in Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Often we don't think of, of death being a, a precious thing, but it is for God when he wants his child home. Fourth point, God wanted Jean to be in her heavenly home. Hebrews 12, 22 to 24 describes this as good as any verses. You have come to Mount Zion, and, and imagine this, when Jean went up there, you know, back two months ago today, this is what happened. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Fifth, God wanted to bless Jean with a great inheritance and all kinds of rewards. It's a subject that should be talked about a lot more in, in Christian circles, and it is not. There's very much said, a lot said in the Bible about rewards and inheritance and how God wants to bless us for a life of service for him. Colossians, excuse me, Colossians, 1 Corinthians 2, nine says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, and that God has prepared for those who love him. Psalm 16.11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy, in your right hand are pleasures forever. This is talking about where she's at now. This verse, Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, says, They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for 1,000 years. Another subject that's not talked about very much is the future. This is one age. The next age is the millennial kingdom age. That's a thousand years. says we will reign with Christ. There's another age after that called the eternal kingdom age. But she'll be reigning using the gifts that God has given her there to serve. She'll still be serving. She'll still be loving. You'll see her up there in heaven. There's no doubt that Jean and Jesus have already met and hugged and have talked together. It says in Psalm 11, verse 7, it says, The upright will behold his face. And the future, which I don't believe is very long from now, when Christ returns to earth, he will give every believer past, present, brand new bodies. Beautiful, powerful, immortal, perfect, glorious, spiritual bodies. It says, like Jesus' body, also says like the bodies of the angels. So in that millennial kingdom I talked about, we'll be flying around, serving the Lord on earth, flying around, having fellowship with one another. I know that Gene wants to see each one of you in heaven. But how does that happen? How does one get from here to heaven? Again, two months ago, she flew up from Paris Street to heaven. How does that happen? How does one receive as Jesus says many times in the Gospels, how does one receive eternal life? 
number of things I'll mention briefly. It's knowing that God himself made you, that he's holy and just, and you are accountable to him for how you live your life here on this earth. Next, it's knowing that you sinned against God in thoughts, words, and actions, and God must punish all people for their sins. It says in Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins will die. Next, it's knowing that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, that he became a man, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross. And the reason he died on the cross, because that's when God the Father, his Father, was punishing him for our sins. That is, Jesus was a substitute. He took our place. It says in in 1 Peter 3, Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Next is telling God you're sorry. You sinned against him. And believing then that he died for you, that he paid for your sins, and then you're forgiven. Then you receive eternal life. And then you're a child of God. And sooner or later, then you'll be up with Gene and Norm and the Lord and all the other believers who've gone on before us. If you've not yet turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ, then now is the time. Put your trust in him. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he paid for your sins. Believe that he rose again and you will be saved. And you say, saved from what? Four things, real briefly. Saved from sin. Saved from death. That's spiritual and physical death. Third, saved from, from the devil. And finally, saved from hell itself. Romans 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him to the dead, you will be saved. John 11, 25, 26. Great verses on how we get victory over death, how we can live forever. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your great love and mercy for us shown through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus, the life you gave to, to, to Jean, and, 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 and how your love for her overflowed into our own lives. We thank you that she's now in heaven with you and with Norm and all the saints who've gone on before us. We pray then for our own lives that we'd know your mercy and love, that we would love you, that we would carry out the plans that you have for us. And do then bless the rest of our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have one last song. Steve, you can come up. Amazing Grace, a wonderful song God has given us. The salvation that Gene uh, enjoyed and each one of us that have accepted Christ as our Savior. It's talked about in this hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. Grace. 
things that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieve how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed through many dangers toils and snares I have already come Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far And grace will lead me home When we've been there ten thousand years Bright shining as the sun We've no less days to sing God's praise Than when we first begun Indeed, today is a celebration. It's a celebration of life, of Gene's life, but also a celebration of the eternal life that he gives all then to all those who put their trust in him. What a wonderful thing to shout out from God, from Gene, to us, that little thunder. I think of that. God speaks through the thunder. This time, Gene's family invites you to join them in the fellowship hall for a meal. They thought all to you to be back there with them, have more time to visit with them as well. Right after this service, back there, that door will be the far door on the right. That's where the kitchen is at. You walk through there to get your food. And then in the fellowship hall, there will be drinks and desserts. Again, I want to thank you for coming to this time of benediction. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.